lots of individuals that just simply don't understand the science that goes into managing a golf course. And so oftentimes we'll find the general public or city council member or county commissioner who wants to create a nutrient ban across their county or their city and they don't really understand the science behind it and so they just do a blanket statement, nutrients shall not be used on this day or this day or this way or this way. And they really have not a lot of scientific background on that particular issue. But because we in golf have created best management practices around our use of nutrients, they've been able to share that with those officials and the fact that they were very transparent in developing those and had government officials involved in that process. They realized, wow, we have an industry here that is actually progressive, that is doing the right things. And so we are going to exempt golf from this particular nutrient ban because they're doing this, this, and this correctly. And so it allows us to have a license, if you will, to continue to operate in the most sustainable and environmentally friendly way. And so if we can do that in all 50 states as it relates to all these different areas of focus, water in particular, I think golf's gonna definitely be more sustainable going into the future. That's why this project is so important, so innovative, and really needed. Welcome to the Mod Golf Podcast, where we speak with the influencers, disruptors, entrepreneurs, and innovators who are shaping the future of golf. If you're a regular listener, welcome back. If you're new to the Mod Golf Podcast, thanks for joining us. And if you like what you hear, please subscribe, rate, and review the show on either iTunes or our show page at www.mod.golf so that you'll never miss the latest engaging story with my amazing guests. This episode of the Mod Golf Podcast is brought to you by Fairway IQ. The reality of turning a golf course into a smart course is here. Fairway IQ is revolutionizing golf course management activity to lower costs, create operational efficiencies, and deliver a better player experience. Fairway IQ GPS technology connects superintendents in real time to their moving assets and predictably automates data collection. Courses can now proactively manage their maintenance operations and pace of play issues as they arise. If you're a golf course owner, general manager, superintendent, or PGA pro looking to remove the pain points from your golf course operations and maintenance, go to www.fairwayiq.com to learn how you can put real-time data collection at your fingertips to increase productivity and improve your financial bottom line. Command every corner of your golf course with Fairway IQ. All right, so let's get to this week's show. I'm your host, Colin Weston, and today my guest is Rhett Evans, who is the CEO of the Golf Course Superintendents Association of America, or GCSAA. The GCSAA is dedicated to serving its members, advancing their profession, and enhancing the enjoyment, growth, and vitality of the game of golf. Rhett is focused on expanding the GCSAA's reach and influence to become the global leader in golf course management, and under his watch, the GCSAA has elevated the superintendents and the industry's voices through the advocacy efforts at the national and grassroots level. So, Rhett, thanks for joining me today on the Mod Golf Podcast. Well, thanks for having me. I'm looking forward to it. Uh, as am I. So, Rhett, uh, going to set the stage here. So, we were both at National Golf Day, which we'll talk a bit more about later. I had a podcast episode a few weeks ago on this. You were there, of course, representing the GCSAA and We Are Golf, which we'll talk about a little bit more also. And at this cocktail reception, I was desperately trying to strike up a conversation with you, but you were such a popular guy that there was a queue of at least five or six people at all times that finally, <laughs> yeah, I had to give up. And I said, oh, well, I'll manage to connect with him another way at another time, which obviously we've managed to do because now I have the privilege of having you on this podcast episode. So once again, thanks for taking the time to join me here. And to get us started here, Rhett, can you please tell us a bit about yourself personally and professionally with your background and also your first 
first connection with the game of golf? Absolutely. Grew up an athlete, played multiple sports, primarily gravitated to wrestling, which I did in college and had a grandfather, however, that was an avid golfer. And we grew up in Arizona and he had his own golf cart and lived on a golf course. So every time we were able to visit my grandparents, he'd had me out on the golf course. And so that was probably my first exposure when I was just a young tyke and obviously loved the game. And throughout my career, which has been involved in sports, I worked for the Larry Miller organization who owned the Utah Jazz, the NBA team in Salt Lake City, and also the Salt Lake Buzz, which is the AAA to the Minnesota Twins baseball team. And so spent a good decade with that organization and involved again in professional sports and went back to my roots in Arizona, where I ran a few sporting and entertainment facilities. One in particular was the Chicago Cubs spring training facilities uh, there in Mesa, Arizona which that operation also included two golf courses, Dobson Ranch Golf Course, as well as Riverview Golf Course. We had uh, an amphitheater and a convention center, but as I started looking at the amount of time I was spending at each one of those venues, I found myself gravitating towards golf, really enjoyed all aspects of the game, and really started to become acquainted with what was going on in the industry, and, and really the rest is history. I became the COO of Golf Course Superintendents Association of America, over nine years ago and then was promoted to their CEO about eight years ago. So I've been now involved in golf for many years and have truly loved what we're doing. I think we're trying to make a difference for the players and for all of us that are exposed to this industry. It's been a real fun ride. That's a great start for us here. So thanks for that, Rhett. So let's take that a step farther here and talk about the history and the mandate of the GCSAA. So with our listeners here, a lot of them, majority of them, of course, have a love for golf. That's why they're here. But we also have quite a few listeners that love the entrepreneurial journey, startup culture. So we managed to bring them in also. A lot of people here may not even know who the GCSAA is. And I will say I've been involved in the golf industry now for half a dozen years. And until I was at National Golf Day, I really didn't understand understand what you guys do to the level and the depth and the passion that you have. So can you give us a quick overview for people that may not know who the heck the GCSAA is? Sure, sure. Our headquarters are outside of Kansas City. We have roughly 18,000 members, which are made up of the top professional superintendents and different aspects of the maintenance side of the business, whether those are assistant superintendents, equipment managers, etc. And we were established over 90 years ago in 1926 by a group of superintendents, in particular one by the name of Colonel John Morley, who felt it was imperative to bring together individuals in the golf business that had some best management practices that had really honed their skills in particular areas and to really galvanize that thinking and that education to where they formed the association. And ever since, we have been working diligently to fulfill our mission, which is to serve our members, those superintendents, managers these golf courses and these facilities, advance their profession, providing them tools to do their job, whether it is advocacy or education, and then and certainly enhance the enjoyment and the growth and the vitality of the game. And so we're pretty proud of that rich history over 90 years of, we think, developing some of the best educational content and tools for our superintendent members that can go out and represent their facility and, and make golf more enjoyable for all of our golfers and, and to really help these businesses. And at the end of the day, that's what they are. They're just small businesses and help them survive and thrive. 
Now on the Mod Golf Podcast, our mandate, our passion is to speak with the influencers, entrepreneurs, and innovators in golf. And people may still be wondering the connection with the GCSAA. And I know you you tick all three of those boxes here. You are extremely proactive, working in multiple thought leadership roles here. So I'm almost paralyzed by where to start here. So I'm going to dig into one to kind of throw it at you and let's just get the conversation going from there so people can really understand of all the innovative things and the support that you provide, not just on the sidelines. You guys really get into it. So I'm going to start here with National Golf Day and your involvement there. So I'd like to hear your thoughts on that. And so our audience understands here, you really take a community building initiative. Can you start by talking about the volunteer aspect and what you did on the National Mall with the Community Project in D.C.? Yeah, so hopefully uh, many of your listeners are familiar with National Golf Day, and it's simply that. It's, it's a day in which we go and share our message about golf, all of the benefits that come with the sport. One of the benefits that golf generates is a lot of opportunities for charity giving and giving back to various communities. And so we thought, what a great way to bring that to life and do an actual service project in DC. And so we worked with a member of GCSAA who actually is not managing a golf course, but he's managing all of the grounds there at the uh, Capitol Mall. Former superintendent and really just has a passion for making things better. And yet through budget cuts and through different challenges that he's faced with, the National Mall there in DC was struggling and was really needing some TLC. And so we got together with Mike Skakowitz, who is the manager of that property, and and said, how can we help? And so we brought together, I think, uh, close to 200 volunteers that are some of the best agronomists in the country and really converged on that site and did everything from irrigation repairs to laying sod to doing mowing, aerifying, seeding. There were such jobs as edging, which I had the privilege of of doing with the sod cutter, vibrated all my teeth out as you go. (laughs) go around the National Mall there and that area to spruce it up. But what a great opportunity for everyone to give back. And if you look at what transpired through that event and you added up all of the man hours that were put forth, Mike shared with us that that was almost three months worth of budget dollars that he now infused into the National Mall that he otherwise would not have had. So it really propelled him forward in terms of his management and maintenance of the National Mall. And so it was, again, an added benefit, I think, to what we're doing when we participate in National Golf Day. What I loved about that event, I was there. I I was on my hands and knees digging stones out of grates. That is about the only talent I would have. (laughs) I think uh, getting me on one of those big John Deere machines there would have been out of my skill set. So leave that to the professionals. Yeah. Which is a good thing. But what I also loved about this, Red, is that there was the general public coming up and asking what we were doing there and just so engaged on that level. So it was this extra layer, this opportunity for you as this public outreach for the GCSAA and for golf in general as part of that community and culture building. What a tremendous opportunity for you. And I'd like to hear your thoughts because we do talk about culture building within organizations that are innovative like yourself and forward thinking. And you have, I understand, over 18,000 members in more than 78 countries now. So what type of feedback, let's go in a slightly different direction here, around the world when you push out and let everybody know the, the fantastic things you're doing, for example, there at the National Mall, that must really bring together the entire 18,000 members in a very positive way. Yeah, I think it's something that we're certainly proud of. And when you really look at the fabric of our members throughout, again, those 78 countries, there is a culture that is really founded on benevolence and giving back and helping one another. And, and again, as I mentioned on the onset of podcasts that you know I've worked 
worked in other sports, uh, whether it be the NBA or the MLB with baseball. And, and I think those groups certainly do their fair share of giving back. But nobody, nobody, when you look at all of the professional sports, gives back as much as golf. It's close to $4 billion in charity every year that they're putting back in, into communities as they host events. And then if you look at just your local golf course that's raising money or, or there's an event going on for breast cancer, for colon cancer, or for Du Bois and Girls Clubs. And so I think when you take these events and the one that we just spoke about in terms of the community service project, it's part of who we are. It's our membership makeup. They want to serve. They want to give back. And again, that goes back to why we formed the association. Many of these clubs are competing with one another. They're literally just down the road. And yet you have a superintendent that will share a best practice so that the superintendent up the road or down the road can actually make their course better. And that's pretty unique when you think of other industries that are very closed-minded in terms of what they will share with their competitors. Yes. What stuck with me there was when you said defining who we are, and that's a segue into something else I wanted to talk about, which is your involvement and the GCSAA's involvement in a very entrepreneurial way of what you've helped spearhead, and that is with We Are Golf. So can you speak a bit about your involvement in getting We Are Golf going? And really, as an entrepreneur myself, I think like you have here, Rhett, you look at the pain points and the opportunities within a certain industry and then come up with solutions to actually help resolve that, to actually ease the pain. So you can talk about your involvement and the mandate of We Are Golf. Sure. Well, I think those entrepreneurs out there that are trying to find success or those that have found success, I think we would all recognize that there is a need to form strategic partnerships that we're much better going together. I think the We Are Golf Coalition is an example of that. While the GCSAA and the PGA Tour and the PGA of America, et cetera, have great organizations, we're much stronger when we come together and we have a unified voice. And so that was really the premise behind establishing the We Are Golf Coalition. And it's simply a group of golf industry leaders that came together and formed this coalition back in 2009. And ever since, we've had a galvanized voice, a unified voice. We sit down regularly and go through our priority issues, those items that we want to make certain that members of Congress, public are aware of and that we could use support towards. And so we've really, I think, have made a difference as we've amplified our message. And it could not have been done without forming those strategic partnerships and relationships. And again, I think in any business, whether it's suppliers or whatever the case is, to be able to form those and add strengths to your portfolio where you may not have them really bodes well for creating a recipe for success. Yes. And with We Are Golf, one thing I found very interesting, I didn't know this until last year, first time I was aware of National Golf Day. I'm going to let you tell our listeners the numbers here because you have them memorized better than I do and you can dig deeper into them. I knew it was a big industry, but I didn't understand how big it was. And a lot of people still believe, whether it's congressional members or the general public, still think golf is this piecemeal cottage industry. And that is not true at all. So can you tell us a little bit about the economic impact on a national level that the golf industry has? Sure. When you look at it holistically, and and I think we all have a tendency just to, we know what we know, right? And you think of your golf course in your community, and it's probably a relatively small operation. But when you really look at everything that goes into creating that business in terms of club manufacturing and food and beverage, and you look at the research that has to go into creating that turf grass and the irrigation systems and the technology that's being implemented there at a golf course, it's very broad. And so when you look at it, 
holistically, golf represents almost a $177 billion industry. And that's the economic impact that it gives back to our country. When you look at, again, just the number of jobs that it creates, over 2 million jobs in America, those are substantial. And they're not just jobs at a high level. These are giving opportunities for young people, high school students, to be able to work in a food and beverage operation or to work out on the driving range or to work with the superintendents in maintaining the 150 plus acres that they're taking care of. So it's just a wonderful sport, a recreational opportunity, but yet the benefits, again, from that economic standpoint and charity standpoint that we've talked about are tremendous. Now, with this economic impact that you just touched on, just so our listeners can put it into perspective or into context here, do an apples to apples comparison, could you mention a couple other large industries that people would be aware of that they understand how big they are, that the golf industry is actually larger than? Yeah, one that I think we all participate in on a fairly regular basis, and that would be the arts. You look at even just movies and theaters and all of that entertainment that goes on around that. Golf is larger than all of those, than that industry. And I think that is something that we can relate to and puts it in perspective of how large golf really is in the United States. I'm glad you used that example. That was the one I was hoping you were going to bring up there because that one really blew my mind. You think how massive that is. And that, yeah, you're right. That just hits the nail on the head and puts it completely into context of how massive and impactful of an industry that golf is. So let's switch gears a bit and get back into innovation. And let's talk about the GCSAA's innovative initiatives to help grow the game in the golf industry. There's a few that you want to touch on. I'll let you lead this here, Rhett. But why don't we start with the best management practices program that you have? Well, I think in any industry and really just in society as a whole, we're all striving to be better, whether it's with our fitness or with it's our relationships or again with our P&Ls. And so the establishment of best management practices is a pretty universal concept. But what we have created just over the course of the last two years is a very comprehensive best management program for maintaining golf courses. It's been done over years and years of research that has transpired and as we study turf grass, as we study water, as we study nutrient use. And we've hired a group of scientists that have pulled all of this research together and in essence, it has really created the best of the best. And we have a template established that goes into 12 key areas of managing a golf course. And as I mentioned, it could be water, nutrient use, and, and pesticide use, and energy use. And all of those now are in a template form to where each state, with the 50 states, can adopt those and add to them their own specific regulations for their state. Those vary from state to state, obviously growing conditions and climates change as you move across and up and down the country. So they're able to infuse those in so that it becomes their own best management practice for that state. And these have some of the latest technology. The latest research that has been conducted are all infused into these best management practices. And and our, our goal, Colin, is to have all 50 states in the U.S. have their own BMP template and planning guide in place by the year 2020. And we're making great progress with that goal. We have close to 37 states already working on 
in some form or fashion completing and publishing their state BMP planning guide. And that's going to bode extremely well for the industry. In essence, it's taking a very proactive stance in demonstrating and showing what golf's environmental benefits are and how we're managing these assets. And if I could just, I'll give you a quick example of how this works. I was going to ask you to. Yeah, please do. Yeah, in the real world. So if you take a state like Florida, who already has their BMPs in place, they were one of the first to come out and complete this project. We have lots of individuals that just simply don't understand the science that goes into managing a golf course. And so oftentimes we'll find the general public or a city council member or a county commissioner who wants to create a nutrient ban across their county or their city, and they don't really understand the science behind it. And so they just do a blanket statement, nutrients shall not be used on this day or this day or this way or this way. And they really have not a lot of scientific background on that particular issue. But because we in golf, in Florida in particular, have created best management practices around our use of nutrients, they've been able to share that with those officials and the fact that they were very transparent in developing those and had government officials involved in that process, they realized, wow, we have an industry here that is actually progressive, that is doing the right things. And so we are going to exempt golf from this particular nutrient ban because they're doing this, this, and this correctly. And so it allows us to have a license, if you will, to continue to operate in the most sustainable and environmentally friendly way. And so if we can do that in all 50 states, as it relates to all these different areas of focus, water in particular, I think golf's going to definitely be more sustainable going into the future. That's why this project is so important, so innovative, and really needed. So you beat me to my next couple of questions here, but I'm just going to expand on what you said there. The fact you are being so proactive, especially with the public being outward facing, to let them know that you are environmental stewards and you are advocating for innovation through sustainability. That I know I have a lot of friends that are non-golfers, I'm sure as you do too, and a lot of them, and they have an environmental love, I guess you can put it, and and definitely support that, that they look at golf as being something, being a game, and, and some of them still think it's an elitist game, but then they think that it's somehow decadent and actually using global resources in a way that we shouldn't be using. But we know full well that there's the other givebacks that I'd like you to touch on here, Red, as far as how with a lot of wetlands and ecosystems of how golf courses actually help those thrive and how you are actually doing much more with much less with the advancement of technology within the maintenance and operation space. So can you touch on that a little bit? Absolutely. And that's one of the misnomers and misconceptions that are out there around golf. And again, if you think about it from a business standpoint. Those of us that are in business, we certainly want to minimize our cost and increase our revenues. And so it makes absolutely no sense to think that a golf course wants to spend more money on pesticide, nutrients, or water. I mean, if it's going to cost you money out of your own pocket, you want to find all the ways and the mechanisms to decrease those costs. And those costs continue to rise. And so that's exactly what the BMPs have been able to do and what golf has been able to do. We continue to find better grasses that are more drought tolerant. We continue to find more innovation or the use of technology around our irrigation systems to where when you look at a golf course that's gone through an irrigation audit that has put in the right systems, I mean, they're at pinpoint accuracy in terms of where they're going to water and when they're going to water versus, again, a lot of homeowners who just, you drive through a neighborhood and their sprinklers are going off and it's raining and you're going, oh my goodness, here's the problem. (laughs) And so when you look at this at a national level, 
we've spent, well, literally a decade studying the profile of a golf course and the use of these resources. And one in particular that we've studied over the course of the last 10 years is water. And we were happy to report just about a year ago that golf has decreased its water use by 22%. And that's through, obviously, the pie is smaller. We have less golf courses than we did 10 years ago. We all know that. But when you really look at the big number of where that decrease came from, which is almost a half a million acre feet of water that we're not using on golf courses, similar to what we did 10 years ago, it's through conservation practices. And that's keeping the turf drier. That's using mulch landscape beds. That's using irrigation scheduling, hand watering, soil amendments, drip irrigation, moisture sensors, et cetera, et cetera. The innovation and the movement here is really something that we're extremely excited about. Yes, we still have room for improvement, and that's what this is about. It's a journey. It's not a destination. We're going to continue to innovate and find ways to make these operations even more sustainable. We've not only, Colin, seen that in water, we've seen it with nutrient use. Nitrates down 34%. Potash is down 42%. We're seeing an increased use in recycled water, which again is another massive benefit from golf courses. And the average homeowner or non-golfer probably doesn't think about if you didn't have that green space there in your community and with all the strip malls and the housing developments around there, when it rains, where does that water go? And that water actually is picking up a whole bunch of oil off the streets and debris from the strip malls. Well, oftentimes that's all being flushed out in a golf course. It's running through the turf, which is a natural filtration system mm-hmm. that then goes in the groundwater and actually goes through that ecosystem to where when it comes out the other end, it's actually cleaner than when it entered the golf course. Yes. And so those are the types of things that we have to keep in perspective right. when we look at golf and its environmental benefits in these communities around the country. Now, speaking about putting things into perspective, you mentioned an interesting stat of half a million acres of golf course turf that has been reduced and needing to be maintained. I just did the quick math here, and you mentioned about 150 acres on average size for a golf course. And if there's roughly about 15,000 golf courses in the U.S., I just did the math here. That's over 2 million acres of turf opportunity that you actually have there. And this blew my mind, Red. I didn't realize until I spoke to one of your colleagues at National Golf Day that the turf industry is the second largest specialty crop in the United States. I didn't realize that at all. So the fact if you're able to make it more efficient and more environmentally friendly, it's a massive savings and everybody wins from that. Yeah. In the U.S., we have close to 2 million acres of turf grass and the USGA, the GCSA and others uh, Certainly, our land-grant universities are spending time and energy and money in developing even better turf that, again, as I mentioned, is more drought-tolerant, can withstand extreme heat, and still provide the benefits that turf grass does. And when we develop that in these living laboratories, those grasses then can migrate over into housing developments and on the soccer fields. So it's really a great opportunity for golf, again, to lead out and provide other benefits to other industries as these things are developed. So again, another benefit to golf and overall benefits to the community. You bring up some great points there. Let me switch gears again here, really getting into the GCSAA's thought leadership platform here. Let's talk about events and conferences and what you're doing there. I realize you're the presenting partner of the Golf Industry Show that will be in San Diego in 2019 in the springtime and a few other shows and conferences. Do you tell us about your involvement there and, and the partnerships you have with others to make all that happen? Yeah, we host the largest golf management show in the world. It's called the Golf Industry Show. In 2019, it will be in San Diego this year in 2018 it was in san antonio 
And then in 2020, we'll be in Orlando and we rotate the show around every year. And it's really an opportunity for all of the industry, whether it's on the equipment side, so it's your manufacturers of, of mowing equipment and iron, as we call it, or irrigation systems, whether it's the Rainbirds and the Toros, and those groups are all able to come together and show their innovation, their new products to our close to 11, 14,000 individuals that converge on that show. And one of the things that we pride ourselves on is not only the trade show itself, but the education that surrounds that show. And that's something that our members value greatly. They come and take all-day seminars where they're learning about these best management practices and able to speak with and learn from some of the greatest minds in the business as they share their research and their findings on different things. And so it's a great show. Not only that, it's a lot of fun. We have a golf tournament, three-day golf tournament. It's spread across five courses with over 480 players banging the ball around and then a lot of networking opportunities for people to meet with one another. And again, a lot of just corporate partners and other allies partners. We have the Architect Society there. We have the Builders. Uh, we have the USGA. It's just, again, a great opportunity to bring together the industry. Well, I'm hoping I have the opportunity in San Diego to attend the Golf Industry Show in 2019. That is my plan. So I look forward to seeing all the great things that you are doing there. Who knows? Perhaps I'll do a live podcast from there because I think there's probably 20 conversations I can have with some amazing people there. Yeah, it'd be great. We'd love to have you as our guest. Sounds great. So I was looking through your bio here, Rhett, and I saw amongst a lot of stuff that you've done and continue to do that you are a four-time Ironman triathlon finisher. So you're obviously no slacker. I, I like to get your insights of everything you've learned from that part of your life, how you've applied that and how that's informed you. So all of our aspiring innovators and entrepreneurs out there can see how you apply what you've done in something like that to prepare you and move yourself forward in your business and professional life. Well, I think I could probably summarize it in just one word, and that's persistence. I, I think anytime you do something that's hard, and life's hard, business is hard, we have changing economies and environments, and there's always something that, that's put in your path. And certainly doing Ironmans or whatever you're doing, there's obstacles that you have to overcome. And if you just don't have that perseverance, that ability to step back and say, it's going to be all right, let's try it again and keep trucking, it becomes pretty difficult. And so yeah, I think that's something that, I, that, again, I've learned as I've competed in these events or have done other activities is just, just to stick to it. And uh, there's always tomorrow. And I think when you look back and you can see the progress and focus on some of those positive attributes that have come about, that's what really propels you forward. So perseverance. Perseverance, that's a great word to use there. And I think that definitely strikes a chord and applies very much to what you're doing there. Not only perseverance, but actually progress as you put it also. Because I'm thinking, not that I would ever even do one Ironman, but the fact you've done four, after you did one, what convinced you to say, yeah, I'm going to do this again. Let's see if I can actually improve and do better. What was your motivation there? Well, I think, uh, yeah, after I did the first one, I don't know that I signed up the very next day because uh, you're, <laughs> you're not feeling too great. But, no. you know, after some time passed, it really is satisfying to know that you set a goal and you're kind of just competing with yourself. And so you, you do, as you mentioned, you just want to do better and, and see what you can improve on and just keep on doing that. We've switched gears a little bit. Ironman takes a lot of training time. And so we now have a our focus and doing some mountaineering and climbing a few mountains every year and and that's fun it's, it gives us a chance to, to get out in, into the open and clear our minds and, and still do something that's pretty tough and exhilarating so looking forward to we've got our next climb coming up in august 
preparing for that now and hopefully be able to persevere to the top of the summit. So speaking about progress and always improving here, could you share with us, looking into the future, because that's what we like to do on the Mod Golf Podcast, where do you see the GCSAA being in 10 years, 15, 20 years from now? What would be that long-term plan of where you'd like to see the organization be and also golf in general? Where would you like it to be? Yeah, I think we're on that trajectory to really making golf more sustainable to be more, it's certainly enjoyable, but I think the practices and the things and the technology that are coming forward are are really going to make golf something that everyone can do. And while they've been able to do that for many years, I think in the 90s, we really expanded golf and developed some courses and some layouts that became a bit problematic to sustain. And so you're seeing, and and I think we'll continue to see over the course of the next 10 years, changes to the way golf courses are laid out so that people can come and enjoy them, whether it's for three holes or five holes or or all 18, but that we'll be able to adapt and make some changes there that accommodate people's busy schedules. That sounds pretty basic, but we do have to figure out ways to, to adapt to this new culture and the busy environment that we're living in. That's the way to thrive is by adapting. And your organization certainly is proactive on that. So, hey, Rhett, before I let you go here, can you tell our listeners where they can learn more and they can find out some information regarding the GCSAA? Oh, absolutely. Love to invite everyone to visit our website at www.gcsaa.org. And we have various tabs that you can click on that would uh, give you more information around the things that we've talked about here today, certainly in the environment. And when you look at our advocacy efforts and some of the key issues that we're advocating for, there'll be a government affairs tab as well. And, and really just any information that you're looking for in, in terms of golf course management and maintenance, you'll find there on the GCSA website. And, and we're certainly here as a resource. We love what we do. We want to be helpful in any way that we can. So invite anyone, if you have questions and or ideas that we can infuse into what we do, we'd love to hear it. And to make that easy for our listeners, I will include not only your website URL, but also all your social media links in the show notes. So it's nice and easy for them to go and find out more about all the great things that you and the GCSAA are doing. So with that, Red Evans, thanks so much for your time today and being a guest on the Mod Golf Podcast. I've learned a ton and I really appreciate you spending the time today. Well, thanks for having me. Great stuff. All right, you take care. We'll talk soon. All right, goodbye. There were plenty of inspirational takeaways from my conversation with Rhett, but his two quotes that stand out for me are these. We need to form strategic partnerships in order to develop innovative ideas and achieve entrepreneurial success. Along with, we are founded on a culture of benevolence, giving back, and helping one another. Rhett pulls from his personal and professional experience, providing insights and inspiration on how building this culture of benevolence, empathy, and giving back fuels their ability to positively support the game and help innovate the golf industry. Before we go, I want to thank our Season 4 sponsor partners. We are proud to have Golf Tech as our title sponsor, along with supporting sponsors Fairway IQ, British Columbia Golf, and Nextlinks. Without their generous support, the Mod Golf Podcast wouldn't be able to bring you these unique golf innovation stories. Golf Tech is exclusively offering our Mod Golf Podcast listeners $50 off both a swing evaluation and tech fit custom club fitting. Go to golftech.com slash modgolf to book at one of the over 200 Golf Tech Improvement Centers located near you. That's golftech.com slash modgolf to begin your golf improvement journey. If you enjoyed this episode, you can find more of our previous golf innovation stories at www.mod.golf or search Mod Golf Podcast on iTunes. And please rate, review, and subscribe to the show while you're there. Please join us next week for my lively conversation with Michael Breed 
who is the host of SiriusXM PGA Tour Radio's The New Breed of Golf Radio Show, along with being the Chief Digital Instructor with Golf Digest. I'm your host, Colin Weston. Thanks very much for joining me. Bye for now.